In part two, we look in greater detail at the systems and tools in place for further developing funding and financing initiatives for NGOs and the people who work for them. There are massive problems that are being exacerbated around the globe, and the general apathy with regards to a lot of it is worrying. The wisdom of lethargy that declares that is how it is can simply no longer be accepted to justify inaction and indifference. On the other hand, it remains extremely encouraging that so many people hear the call to action, take to the streets, reach into their pockets and share their own suppers. Philippe talks of his hope, how encouraged he is by so many people, and Saroj highlights how the people directly involved can be supported too, allowing the burden to be lifted wherever possible. Listening to Saroj and Philippe, I too am heartened by their experiences, their work and determination and the messages they invoke. Thank you both for your time. I wish your project continued success and hope the message and method can spread to those areas where it is needed. To an mic, clocking out. Enjoy. Once again, I'm joined by Saroj and Philip in the second part of our discussion about these fantastic uh, villages, Werthunger Helfer, and the projects are currently being uh, undertaken in specifically in India. But of course, reference has been made to other countries, Nepal, I think Bangladesh was mentioned, a few countries also in, in Africa. Um, when we closed out the last part, you mentioned this dashboard. And as you were talking about investor input and how they can quantify and qualify their investment and follow what's developing and so on. When you created these kinds of tools, which are useful both to the workers on the ground, the villagers themselves, perhaps other local government stakeholders, and also investors, and when we, you also mentioned the internet, and you've got all of these kinds of facilities, such as crowdfunding, is this also an avenue which you could perhaps pursue with those tools? When it comes to crowdfunding, I think we are not there yet. And um, we tried it in India, but uh, it's not easy. I think Europe is more, I wouldn't say advanced, but uh, they have a, a different focus when it comes to crowdfunding than, than the Indian population, where crowdfunding just came up a couple of years ago, where it's more on children, can't cancer patients. So it's a little bit, so for us, it's quite difficult to, to also sell this quite complex story we are talking about. Um, but when it comes to the private sector, I think what we do is, is quite interesting for them um, because it boils down also to a village. A village is something people understand, they can go, it's tangible, uh, they can visit. Um, and uh, I feel that this whole also model village is something very attractive uh, where people can support, um, they can see pictures, they can connect, they know the history of the village. And of course, when we feed these data into the dashboard and they have access to this data and they can see what's going on in the specific region, in the specific village, 
that helps, of course, uh, to create credibility. And for us, it's great now because we can also get into more uh, analytical exercises to see why is agriculture doing well, but nutrition is still down. In this village, uh, sanitation is really good and has is there a connection now to the nutrition nutrition indicators? So we can look dive deeper in a more systematic manner, yet to, to make sense of of data. Uh, before we just collected a lot, we re- reported on it, but to really analyze them, that's where this Power BI uh, driven uh, dashboard is is quite handy. But yes, we we just started and um, we need to see. And of course, you you it requires a lot of data. Yeah, and you both represent a very interesting bridge between Asia and Europe. I believe, Philippe, you are of European origin as well. Is that correct? Uh, Yes, I'm German. Okay, all right. Um, And Saroj, you are of Indian origin, living in Germany. So you you guys have like a substitution. So there's no uh, (laughs) change in uh, the number of inhabitants of either country because you've just swapped over. Um, But, I mean, you can see... You've identified certain differences with regards to funding models and so on. Um, and Saroj, if indeed Europe is in, uh, should we say, a slightly more matured market with regards to crowdfunding, do you also see that maybe European co- communities would twin with, for example, an Indian village and thereby also take on crowdfunding directly? Because in the last 20 years, there have been some fears that money being given to charities or organizations doesn't always get to where it needs to go. But through this kind of vehicle, that would be a completely different situation, wouldn't it? Um, yes, I'm, I'm actually aware of a few charities that, that work that way, coming direct. Um, because I, I, I grew up in India, I understand the trust issues that Indians have. There are lots of NGOs um, and and it's difficult and there is corruption, of course, not only in one, there corruption in every every industry. And so the trust is difficult to build uh, in the first place. Giving directly is, I, I think it's very effective, but I don't, I don't know if people know what giving directly exactly means. Who are you giving directly to? Are you giving it to a family or are you giving it to one person in a village? And then you would have to evaluate what that person is doing with the money, how much money it is. And only giving money, I personally don't believe that helps. Um, you have to teach the f- the person to catch the fish and not only give them the fish. So, fi- I, I know that it, that a little pumping in money is required and it's it's important because it gives them that, that basis that they need to be able to buy basic stuff and and pull them out of survival mode, which is dangerous. But after that, they really, the support like this, self-sustaining support is important. And according to me, it will not be a good idea to only concentrate on giving money, but rather uh, a more, but I've already said, I believe in the holistic approach. (laughs) So yes, and I think it's a good approach and it should be combined with other approach rather than um, going at it alone. No, it's all about about creating systems. And of course, you create a system within the village, but we also need to create a support systems which are attractive, which are engaging, which are also entertaining. Yeah, yeah. Um, Where a person goes, um, you know, in the evening um, to a platform and he sees what's going on, what's happening in Africa, what's happening in a specific village. He also gets informed and he also gains knowledge on, 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 on a system approach, for example, 
or how agriculture can be done differently and he gets inspired and i think that's that's also a system which we need to create and so far i haven't really seen these kind of 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 support systems which are integrated and where people also have fun most of the websites charity websites are difficult to handle or sometimes you are overloaded with information uh, or it's too simplistic yeah um, please give water uh, please give money and then a specific person will have six liter water or i you know i support a company uh, distributing uh, spectres or whatever so that's not really what we do so it's not not easy children of course is always quite successful because there's an element of of emotion but something like more integrated community support system globally i think that's something that's a little bit of vision we are having but yes we have limited resources and we do it step by step one block after the other and it will take time but yes i'm i'm positive yeah and it seems like an agile approach too so Roger, i think you maybe you're more of a specialist in <laughs> agile <laughs> working and so on but that's the feeling i get yes definitely i mean that's i have become an agile sort of now um i wouldn't call myself an expert but yeah sure I, i'm in that field and and that's what i'm when i was throwing in those jargon words stakeholder involvement and <laughs> uh, that's what and i feel that's why i really love this project i feel this project is really agile the uh, agile mindset actually has has been proven multiple times in big companies that it works much better than having a plan and then following it strictly and um, it's not natural things come in ad hoc all the time that's nature and it's rather than pushing it away and saying no i'm going to but stick to my plan of course there has to be a little vision and and plan but there has to be agility to be able to to stand like a tree and not b break against the wind right so you can exactly. bend over yeah yeah. If you, yeah. I mean, if you work on systems, if you want to develop systems, you need to be agile. You need to 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 do the trial and error, and to see yeah. how it goes. And um, and um, that's something where we also need to learn, where NGOs need to learn, also from the private sector. Uh, Scrum has been around for for a decade now. Uh, we are slowly entering into into agile management, but also collective leadership is a topic. We're talking about multi-sectoral approaches or multi-stakeholder partnerships. So how do you manage? How do you you know, um, deal with that. And I think uh, still there's a lot to do and a lot to learn. Most of the, the uh, multi-stakeholder partnerships I have seen so far are collapsing or are not really effective. Uh, so, so still a little bit of, of homework to do, but we yeah. all know that we need to work with different stakeholders. We need to work with different sectors. Uh, otherwise we won't be able to to tackle our, our, our problems. Yeah. I see. A very important uh, point here, Philip, that you're making because it is, I believe, and and I there was a TED talk that I heard and I can't recall the name right now, but I found it so so right what what this person said. We are keeping our NGOs really small. So it, it, there is a there is a very separate mindset when people are talking looking at NGOs. So I am a private person. I want to donate, but I also want to earn money, and I wa want to. I'm working in in a company. When I say, okay, there is a destructive video game company that is on the magazine, I I don't question it. It's not really making an impact 
on a positive impact on anyone, but it's okay for them to to have an advertisement that is uh, millions of of euros. And uh, but for an NGO, if a person is if if the NGOs are asking for, please prov- don't only donate for for the cause of the project, but also for people who are supporting the project. That's a questionable investment, and I find that uh, terrible. <laughs> well, I, I don't know. It's, I think it's just people that are being stretched between morality and and surviving or or income. And I think we have so many NGOs, but they are all pretty small. A, a person CEO of an NGO uh, is earning half the money. Why would a, a person from Harvard become a CEO of an NGO? He's not going to earn any money, even though he has good intention or she has good intentions to to do good for the society. And I think this has to somehow, I know it's difficult, multi-stakeholder management, but I think mergers and acquisitions of NGOs has not been done, but maybe an idea for the future to make them bigger so that they can have a more collateral, better impact. Mm, completely agree. And I mean, there is a shifting rule now anyway, when it comes to civil society organization or NGOs towards more facilitation, bringing different partners together, uh, you know, bringing the academia, the government, the private sector, and facilitating these partnerships. And it's a shift um, um, which requires a lot of expertise, a lot of knowledge, a lot of capacities. But I think it's necessary because who will do it? And an NGO, we don't have a stake. We don't represent a business. We don't make profit. So we are quite a neutral body. So we we have actually... um, comfortable kind of a standing uh, and we would be good in in doing it Um, but yes it requires funding and it requires platforms it requires investment and but yes with the new technologies a lot of things uh, are really uh, improving and now we have AI on top which is amazing especially when it comes to systems uh, big data where where AI will be of of tremendous support I believe because humans and complexity is an issue AI doesn't really have the issue. They just need the data and then they, they just make, <laughs> yeah. make somehow sense of it, uh, which is, of course, very helpful you know, in modeling uh, systems uh, specifically. As someone someone re- uh, from Weltunga Helfer actually said really well, a tool with a fool is still a fool. <laughs> you have to know how to use it really well. <laughs> I really love that sentence. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, thinking about some of the things you said, it also draws me back to some of the social work that I did back in the uh, Armenian community in, in the UK. And when you work as a volunteer, people expect you to do everything voluntarily. And what that means is obviously unpaid. Even if you as a volunteer do work, which is tantamount to what a professional would get paid for. Um, on the other hand, somebody who does something professionally, if you say, yeah, that's the business. Oh, well, if that's the business, then we have to pay for it. So um, we've got this kind of mindset where somebody who does social work, now they don't need money. Uh, somebody who works in a, in, in a company, oh, they need to pay. Uh, we need to pay these guys. And, and I think this also needs to change. As you say, we cannot simply expect uh, organizations that are nonprofit to not pay the people that are doing the work. One of the things that we talked about, first of all, here is sustainability. It's not sustainable to expect people to always go to work if they're not getting paid, if they're not being provided with an opportunity to cover their costs, live a bit, have a bit of fun, uh, and then be able to go back into that positive mindset to go and, and teach kids, for example, with a smile on their faces. That's a bit different. 
Yeah. Exactly. And I mean, COVID was a good example where all these questions you're raising now came up. Yeah. Um, nurses underpaid. Yeah. Completely overloaded. Um, uh, teachers uh, overwhelmed with very small salaries as well. And of course, farmers. Yeah. We are not paying the right price to, 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 to the farmers. And we are seeing the farmer protests not only in India. Now, even, I was in Berlin a couple of <laughs> months ago and it started, you know, the agitation came up. Now it's in France, I think in Spain as well. So we need to rethink how we, we, we value uh, services which are very important, but which don't still don't have really uh, monetary incentives. Um, um, pharma is, is really struggling. And then on top of it, as a, the food industry is, is earning billion. Yeah. Uh, the farmer is depending on subsidies. <laughs> I mean, something is really wrong. Uh, and on top of it, if he's organic or sustainable, he provides, um, you know, in a healthy environment, he, he creates biodiversity, he protects water bodies, et cetera, et cetera, and he conserves a, a beautiful landscape. But he's not getting paid for it. Yeah, The opposite is the case, you know, when he is uh, organic, he has to pay for his certification. <laughs> Should be the other way around. <laughs> Uh, and the same goes for, for, for NGO workers. And um, I mean, I, I belong um, to, to the NGO sectors and there are a lot of burnouts, people who are tired, who are, I mean, that's it's the danger because you're working for a good cause. So it keeps you, it keeps the flame alive all the time because you wake up and you know you do something good, which is positive. But also sometimes there's a danger to, to collapse, to work during weekends and yeah, to get into a burnout. Um, so you still have to pay your bills, right? Um, exactly, exactly. When Jensen exactly. Claus doesn't really pay your bills. <laughs> oh, correct. And and um, it gets more and more difficult for the NGO sector. The civil society space is shrinking worldwide, especially in India. A lot of people have lost their job here in India. Um, NGOs have been shut by the government. It's a worldwide phenomena. And on top of it, the taxation comes, um, visa issues. So it's, it's it's getting very, very difficult for, for NGO workers to, to, to survive. Yeah. Definitely. And, and this is also something that um, we can see in, in Berlin. Uh, I'm familiar with some of the situations with the, with the change in political leadership in Berlin and uh, budgeting and the amount of uh, money that they dedicate when they provide financing and funding to NGOs in Berlin is also now becoming problematic. Lots of people are saying, OK, I don't even know if I have a project now. Uh, should I apply for another job? But I like doing what I do. You know, all of these things, a conspiracy theorist will say, one minute, is this perhaps part of the plan? Get rid of the nice people doing the good jobs and then we can tie up uh, you know, government <laughs> funds with mm, these evil mm. corporations. Exactly. Uh, you know, you never know, right? Yeah, yeah. We are on a crossroad now and uh, let's see how it goes. Um, I mean, I'm still an optimist, but uh, at the moment, I think uh, we will go through a very tough phase in the next 10 years. Um, and maybe there might be some, some crucial change afterwards, let's hope. But yes, it's, it's tough at the moment. And uh, we have a very bipolar kind of a, of a world. Um, we are pretty much divided. Mm -hmm. Also, um, the capitalist model is still alive, but many people are questioning it. And a lot of people want to maintain it. And uh, yeah, it's quite interesting to, to observe. But yes, we need to change. And uh, I think COVID was... Um, event to, to learn. Um, to, unfortunately, we, we also forget quite, quite, quite far. 
Um, and I think I think uh, one way to change is to is to talk about issues and, uh, and talk and uh, make it out there in public. And my, one of my plea would be to yeah. to everyone who wants to who wants to donate and support. Please also support the people uh, that are working for an NGO. Not only the cause, of course, that's that's the biggest deal. But but without these people, there will be no help for the cause. And another thing is to really also create visions. How do we envision our future? How do we envision our local food systems, our communities, not only in India, but also in Europe? And I think that where our politicians are a bit lacking behind in creating these visions, you know, what kind of food system do we really want? You know, do we want to have a corporate driven food system or do we also want to, uh, and where communities themselves decide and not the EU is based on subsidies or, or a national uh, government um, dictates what to do, but where every community says, look, that's the food we want to eat, the farmers we would like to support. Um, and that yeah, brings them back to these decentralized systems we, we need. Um, and uh, we don't need huge national kind of, you know, energy uh, 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 centralized energy systems uh, feeding into the grid. I think every community can produce their own energy, their own food, and um, people can be engaged. And yeah, yeah. One of the places where this this whole podcast debate on this topic, I mean, started was when Saroj and I were talking about what we've got planned and what we're doing, um, and so on. And uh, and I said, yeah, well, I've designed um, a, a workshop game based on the sustainable development goals. Um, and the main game was for companies and perhaps universities, but also there's uh, there's a version that I've got for kiddies and children and uh, to be used from an educational standpoint. Now, when I've spoken to a few people about the sustainable development goals, so Agenda 2030 is very fast approaching and, and we're looking forward to what's going to come after that, because there is going to be another set of goals after 2030. Otherwise, what the hell are we doing? <laughs> But whenever I've spoken with people about some of the sustainable development goal frameworks, they say, yeah, it's too abstract. OK, the, the ideas are good, but how do you actually apply it and so on? What this village gives is uh, perhaps in some ways a real opportunity to envision exactly how you can apply uh, the sustainable development goals. It's no longer abstract. You've got a working model there, which can also be used in other situations right i learned from those days you know the millennium goals and then the sdg came on board and we tried to address all these sdgs and most of these sgds have then again uh, sub goals and the sub goals have a uh, 10 to 20 indicators and it's it's really 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 difficult and, and complex to understand and uh, i think um, and what i just said is create a vision together with the village and everything else will fall into, you know, they will come up uh, with, with issues which will then, of course, also influence the, the SDG goals or what, however we will call it in the future. I think it's a better approach instead of teaching them the, the SDG goals. And there's a huge movement also here in India supported by the UN, for example, on localizing the, the SDGs but it's not really successful because it's something very abstract at the end. Yeah? And people need to, to feel it, they need to be engaged and they need to, to see the broader picture. 
Yeah. Another thing we, we kind of touched on um, before, you said that the, the relationship between villages is also there. So they are aware of the other. And and you talked about how you, you've, you've got a system which allows villages in India to also connect with villages in Africa. How is that helping with the general plan on strategy? Uh, do they find inspiration from one another? Uh, the ideas are different because I also remember there were some studies uh, undertaken in different parts of the world because the scientists said, well, the current geological conditions in a certain area are what we are going to see in 30 years in Europe because of climate change. Do you also have that kind of scientific approach to some of the strategies that you've got incorporated in some villages? Okay, maybe the first part of your question is yes, um, they're, um, they meet each other. So next week we have um, one village, uh, Patan is visiting Burudi. So one village is in the state of Madhya Pradesh. So they're all traveling to Jharkhand, which is quite far away by train. And they will visit the village and, and spend three, four days um, with us and learning. We have a specific uh, training on um, on marketing, um, on organic uh, marketing, organic, organic products. Uh, so they will all um, also learn together. And, and of course, it's empowering, it's motivating. Um, we also organized a visit to another village, which, which is doing very well in India. It's a, more or less a government kind of a model village. So they all visited it in Maharashtra. So they went there and got inspired. Okay, that's something we also can achieve. Um, um, but we, we, we are trying to, to, to connect um, the villages through the platform we are developing. We still haven't really found yet a format because language is, of course, an issue. But we are working a lot with photos, images, and, uh, but that, that's work in progress. And, of course, to connect these villages to, to a broader network, like we did with, with Saroj. Um, we had a field visit or to bring the voice of these people um, on a more macro level or global level, um, which is also encouraging and, and um, for them to, to, to be part of, of something bigger. But of course, they're also under huge pressure. And when I visited them, I think two, two months ago, I could see like, oh God, you know, and the people are now coming and they will see and, and Sarosh might visit, uh, you know, this year, <laughs> uh, the village and oh God, and uh, can we really, you know, uh, address and fulfill all these expectations? And uh, but it's okay. It's okay. It's good to have a bit of pressure. Um, <laughs> a healthy pressure, bad. probably. Probably e exactly. Good. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but I, I love this whole thing of inspiring them, and that's a metrics that you. It, I don't know how to put that on a dashboard. That's so important because this is what is going to take them further and make them sustainable to, to be able to do all of that on their own at some point. Um, it will be interesting to see if you can have have a matrix called um, Inspiration Zero and now 100. <laughs> I don't know. But uh, very, very, I really like that, 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 that people are inspiring each other. It's really so complex. I mean, also impact. I mean, it's still... Yeah. Yes, indicators are, of course, necessary, but is really income the right indicator to, exactly, to, to yeah. showcase a healthy community? I don't know, because even the two villages we are having here in India, the two model villages, one is very tribal. They are 100% tribals, but they are very poor. The other village, they're doing a little bit better, 
they are not tribal. Um, their indicators are more positive. But when you go into this village, especially when you go to the tribal village, it's so much more dynamic. It's so colorful. It's uh, they're also embedded in a beautiful environment with a lake, with a with a national park nearby. So sometimes I'm also wondering: Are these indicators <laughs> or the right indicators? So how do you measure? Um, yes, motivation or happiness or is it uh, does it boil down to to income? Uh, does it boil down? Of course, I mean sanitation is important, but yes, it's uh, but we need to try and of course we need to also break down a complexity and 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 also showcase uh, evidence. But yeah, but it's a good question to ponder upon for sure. Exactly, exactly. I mean, income is one of the indicators, but it can't be all of it. I mean, we all know the GDP question. Is it really? And we are still having this global yeah. growth paradigm. A country is only doing well when you have seven percent or eight percent or ten percent growth, and that's how we measure success. Yeah, mm. and uh, I think that's something we need to change. It has to change. It's such a poor measurement. Um, wealth describes nothing. It's all relative. What a, what a person would consider to be poverty in Europe may be considered middle class in another area. Um, but then the poor person in the other area is happier than the middle class person in Europe. And and you kind of mm. think to yourself, OK, one minute, why am I doing this? Yeah, exactly. I mean, one example, I don't know if I really should uh, say it, but I'll just say it. <laughs> so we we. <laughs> We worked in 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 Jharkhand as well with 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 a tribal community, um, very traditional community, um, and um, it's a very strong you know community, quite small. I think I don't know 150 people are living in the village, uh, a little bit in the middle of nowhere in the forest, uh, and we started now also to work on income generation. Uh, to show them, um, you know, market opportunities on collecting wild uh, foods and collecting wild products from the forest, how they can do. And we created a little bit of cooperative um, around the village with also some facilities for processing, etc., packaging. So then we had a donor coming and he went to the village and, um, and then right away he asked, you know, so what's your income? So what's your profit? And, and <laughs> they were struggling and then... Uh, so I want to buy something, and so that he bought a, um, you know, a packet of of I don't even know what it was. I think pulses. Um, and uh, then he made a big fuss because he didn't get a receipt. <laughs> so, <laughs> and the, they were completely embarrassed. And then they were running around, and then they were, you know, drafting the receipt for him, and they gave it to him in the evening. But then in the evening. Um, the whole uh, donor team, and uh, but also we were quite tired, and we were sitting, and these people started to dance, hours and hours, and they had this rhythm, and they were all connected, and they were, you know, holding each other's hand, and they did this dance, and they were so happy, and so relaxed, and so calm, so I was also thinking, something is wrong here and maybe yeah. we have a problem <laughs> not, not these people not able to you know write a receipt yeah, i mean one example yeah, <laughs> yeah definitely Fantastic. maybe they need to create an engine help the developed nation to be to learn to be happier <laughs> yeah maybe they should design the dashboard or uh, one of the, the the indicators as well because uh, the happiness yeah. dashboard <laughs> yeah exactly right, right. yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, definitely. <laughs> One final point, because I know you you probably both got to get on with your the other stuff that you do. So maybe your work. But reading an article in Deutsche Welle about India's Gen Z and millennials. The article generally said that in India, it seems that uh, Gen Z and millennials are more likely to feel stress and anxiety than the older generations. And, and the article, which I'll put a link to, also goes through lots of different situations and so on. Um, but do you sense also this feeling among younger people of damn climate change, um, sustainability, there's so much that we need to do, all the problems going on around the world, which one do I start with? How do I cope? And and also, how do I put food on the table? Um, oh, that's a very <laughs> tough, that's a very tough it question. Is, it is a very tough question. And I, I kind of have an idea where that might come from, because I probably kind of feel the same but uh, i can't i can't uh, be a representative of of the indian youth anymore but also i don't live there since 10 years <laughs> but yeah um there's these two worlds our parents grew up in a very different world without internet so it was very indian very cultural very um a, a different different mindset when they grew up we we came into the world millennials and gen z's with a millennial still saw world without maybe a one one channel television and then moved on to having this connection that that connects you to the world and you're suddenly you're able to see the whole world and it's not india anymore but you have these these basic cultural teachings that you get from your parents and and you're questioning everything you're questioning is the world is what i'm seeing in the western world is that correct because it sounds cooler it is also more developed and i want to be there but then i have been brought up with a totally not totally but yeah different belief and uh, mindset and and that pulls you into different direction at least that's what that's how it was with me and um, and you have to find kind of a, a middle ground and finding that middle ground is so difficult when you have totally different realities and not everyone makes it. Uh, people get really stressed, and it is um, there's in India. There's also a whole thing about you have to uh, I don't know what income class are you, and you have to earn more. And uh, they, they still have this entrepreneurial mindset that means a lot of struggle and a lot of pushing forward, um, because you want to be somewhere where the Western world is. Um, but the question is, is it uh, making you happy? I guess not. A happiness dashboard is really required. <laughs> Yes, I mean, another aspect is, of course, India has such a huge population, 1.4 billion now, bigger than China, and the competition is so, so big, you know, so you really need to, yeah, to be the best if you want to have a job, because there are 1,000 other youngsters Definitely. waiting for, yeah. for the job and knocking on the company door, uh, so the pressure is, is immense and, and, and it's all about education. And uh, when they have examen, my colleagues are taking off a week. They are not uh, at, uh, in the office because they have to support the children to, to get through these examen. And, and it plays such a huge role um, to have good grades and, and um, otherwise you will, you will lose. And uh, yeah. you, will have, uh, you will not be part of... Uh, the middle class, the Indian middle class, which is now emerging. Uh, another which, uh, positive uh, thing which I'm now also witnessing is a lot of young people, they're questioning, you know, the, the Western paradigm and do we really need to copy, um, yeah. you know, Europe or the US or even China? Um, 
And um, and there's a new trend in, in rediscovering tradition. What is India? Which unfortunately there is a tendency towards nationalism. I mean, you all heard about the Hindu yes. nationalism. <laughs> So that's a little bit of the downside, but a lot of people rediscovering old recipes and, and of course, uh, um, the whole spiritual world of, of India, uh, yoga, uh, meditation, and, and, and are rediscovering that there's something more meaningful uh, than making money. And it's a growing, it's a growing uh, group of, of, of young people uh, also designing new types of businesses, which are not profit-oriented, which are you know, taking care of the environment with, with wonderful ideas. There's a very, very exciting startup scene here in, in, in India emerging now uh, with, with very highly, highly educated young people who wants to do it a bit differently. Uh, and uh, that makes it very, very interesting. So, yes, it's a little bit of both. Great, great. Yeah, I think we'll cut it there because um, there's so much, I mean, there's so many things we could talk about. And I hope very much that uh, at some point not too far away we can come together again and talk about uh, some more of the progresses that you've made um, and or also perhaps uh, your direction will, will lead you. Thank you very much Philip for taking your time out uh, where you are and I love hearing about uh, the work that you're doing and long may this continue. Please remember to send me some links um, and so on so I can put them into the podcast notes and yeah thank you. Thank you so much, Sarkis. Very nice. Thank you. Yep. Good. Thank you, Sarah. Thanks, Thank you nice, nice seeing you. Yes, we'll see each other soon again. <laughs> yeah. 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 Thank you, Valtunga Hilfe and Philip um, Schweta, for supporting this this project. These two villages, I really mm. love that I was able to be a tiny little part of it. <laughs> yes, it's an amazing team here in India, and uh, definitely they are also amazing people. See you. Bye. Thank you. Yeah, take care. Take care. Bye. Uh Saroj, thank you also very much uh for your inspiration for this episode um and for putting it all together. So thank you for that. It's my pleasure. Two and a mic.